Welcome to the Band of Brothers podcast. Our current series is entitled A Man's Guide to Spiritual Disciplines. We are being led by Milton Redeker, our men's ministry coordinator, Renee Rivera, and Eric Reed, the minister to married young adults and men at Houston's First Baptist Church. To find out more about our men's ministry, please visit us on the web at houstonsfirst.org. We hope that this podcast is a blessing to you, and we'll see you soon. You may be Can we open up in prayer? Okay, y'all ready to go? Mm-hmm. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for these lessons and sessions that are bringing to our minds opportunities for ministry as individuals, but helps us in our Christian walk with you. We thank you, Father, for this session tonight of dealing with counsel. Many times, Father, that the because of the pride of a man that's inside us. We hesitate to ask anyone's advice, let alone yours. And Father, you've told us throughout your word that the ways of a man are always right in his own eyes. The ways, your ways, are not our ways. We get when we come back and admonish your ways, we always come out the winner. Thank you for these men who are here tonight. Thank you for their wanting to walk closer with you and to be an influence in their home, to be a godly man. And we thank you tonight for the inside of Pat Morley and the 12 disciplines of a spiritual man. May we walk as spiritual men wherever we walk and wherever we talk. And Lord, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. I guess you're not going to the U2 concert, right? No. Okay. $100 a ticket. $100 a ticket. Might be the last time they are together. Hey, guys, a word association. We're talking about, uh, this is week eight, or actually week nine, with our, uh, what is counsel? What? So let me ask a question. With word association, real quick, what comes to mind when you hear the word counsel? Give you a visual aid. <laughs> Teaching. Teaching, help. Doctor Phil. <laughs> He's a real counselor. He'll be smiling right at me too. Counsel. Advising. Advising. Wisdom. I like that. Wisdom. <coughs> Direction. You get counsel, you get direction. Direction. What are some times um, 
that um, you wish you had sought when you sought counsel? Are there any times you've sought counsel? You may want to share on that. What do you mean, like talking to someone that's like higher up or something? Like exactly. Well, I would say with for me, you know, since we're all men here anyway, it's when I was going through my when I became a believer first. When I, um, when I got saved, you know, I was still a rebel self. Uh, I still had a lot of that, that, that bad in me that, right. did, that did the crazy things all the time. And, you know, and, you know, it was people like Bridgewater, um, Bridgewater's that were my first teachers in this church, really true Bible, you know, class teachers for the first two years that really were my counsels because they, he would answer a lot of my difficult questions and help me right. to get out of the thing, some of the things I was doing. Tell me, here's what the Bible says. And I would say that would probably be considered counseling. Yeah, definitely. Anybody else? In my own life, I've, um, as a young college student, a little carnal in my Christian walk, I... Um, I sought counsel from an older, uh, wise music minister. And he, he's still today my mentor. And I seek counsel from him on whenever I can. That's good kind of counsel. Was there ever a time, has there ever been a time that you should have sought counsel and you didn't? Many times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say, I'm not going to pick up which one, but many, many, many times. Are those? Engage mind. Engage mind before before putting foot in mouth. Right. Engage mind before inserting foot into mouth. Right. Many times. Many times. I, I have regrets when it comes to not seeking counsel. I know. I know of several situations where men have. Uh, sought permission instead of counsel and their financial straits for for their marital problems. So. I wish I had sought the counsel. We're taking the counsel of my dad many times. Oh gosh, yeah. I remember one specific instance when I was about 16 and I wanted to date a certain girl and I had to ask my dad's permission before I ever asked somebody for a date. Dad, can I borrow the pickup of the car for Saturday night? For sure. Well, who are you taking? Who are you taking on a date? And I named the girl, and he said, "Nope, you can't do that." <laughs> well, we were out in the middle of a plowed field. Whenever he stopped the tractor and asked me that question, because I went out to bother him, he said, "Nope, you can't do that." And I got mad and turned around and walked away. And he said, "Come back here." So I came back and he said, I'm not going to tell you why you can't date that girl. But he said, she's not the kind of girl you want to date. I still didn't take his advice. Oh. I turned away and walked, turned and walked away and, and all of a sudden I felt something hit me in the back. It was a pickup keys. He said, if you're going to be that stubborn and you're going to date that girl, just go ahead. Well, that didn't last long. I found out why he didn't want me to date that girl. <laughs> She'd been nearly with every football player on the football squad, if you get my drift. 
No, please expound. I just. Uh... <laughs> But sometimes it's she was she was the, the uh, conversation in the locker room. She, she was really a woman of the tongues and the laying of hands. She's a right? beautiful girl. Okay, yeah. beautiful girl. Gloria was her name. I never will forget that. Gloria. 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 You're gonna say something? Yeah, but sometimes can can counsel end up being bad? Oh yeah. You know that's the thing about counseling is that. You know, even someone who says they're they're a biblical man to their beliefs can counsel you in doing something that is not right. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's just sometimes I think you have to kind of watch out who you're getting counsel from. So last week I had to approach Milton because I needed counsel for a friend. And um, situation occurred where a woman that my wife is mentoring being sued by her dad. Dad. For money that is owed without a contract. Money that she needed to help pay some bills while she had cancer. I shocked Milton. Well, kind of shocked ourselves. When I shared with him that the counsel that this father had received was from a deacon at another church but a deacon at the church he went to in Corpus Christi. And the man said, you need to sue your daughter. Contrary to everything that's in Scripture. And um, because of that, I would say, unwise and ungodly counsel, the man, the father, is now will not be able to be paid without the legal process taking over. So... There are there are situations where godly people do give ungodly advice and counsel. We'll discuss that. I see that. Frank, I lost the bet. You were flipping the U2 concert. The U2 concert tonight. Uh, you got to like one hundred bucks. <laughs> hey guys, if you open your Bibles up to verse uh, Proverbs fifteen twenty two, fifteen twenty two. Proverbs 15.22. Kind of a sword drill here. Whoever has it first, raise your hand. Uh, mine's uh, 5.69. Blake, you got it? Frank's got it? Yeah, but you have a computer. <laughs> it's still a Bible, right? 15.22. I'm almost there. Hey, Mark, I'll, I'll give you a different one. Go five, go Proverbs. Okay, all right. <laughs> Proverbs 1522. Blake, will you read it? Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Anybody have a different version? Blake's version's fine. Blake's version's fine. Can I be? Yes. Plans fail for lack of counsel. Many advisors, they succeed. Plans fail... For lack of counsel. Okay. Milton, you a different version? Just a little different wording. Plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. You see, Milton's got the Baptist Bible. He's got the Holman Bible. So he's truly a Southern Baptist. (laughs) Yeah, plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. You know, Proverbs are generally true. And um, there's some truth to this. Going back to what you were saying, 
Mark, there's sometimes bad advice, bad counsel. But seeking no counsel at all, the Bible clearly says that your plans will fail. And even if you, and you know, you know life and you know planning. As we try to attempt things in our life, we could have the best laid plans, of course, you know, and then the best counsel, and life gets in the way. Life really gets in the way. Hey, I handed out some verses to you, and if you'll take a few minutes, look at them real quick, and whoever has the first, John, will you read yours out loud? And what I want to do is, when the verse is read out, tell me what the theme of the verse is. Go read that. For wages war, for waging war, you need guidance, and for victory, many advisors. Sounds uh, Proverbs twenty four six. Repeat again. Read again. For waging war, for waging war, you need guidance, and for victory, many advisors. That's actually very simple. Yeah. If you look at World War II, right? You know, we had the best generals like Patton, all these generals that were leaders, councils of many, many men. And um, you know, the more councils you have, the better chance you have at victory. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I agree with you there too. Yeah, they should have done that back in the 90s when we had the power to do it and you know, the world would have backed us. Yeah, no one, no one can take away Powell's military prowess. And the fact that the man was amazing. He had his advisors around him to counsel him. And I don't know, there's, a, there's quite a different change in Powell now as a civilian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mark, your verse. My verse. The way of the fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Praise. That's very easy to hear. Yeah, okay. So, fools don't listen, right? Well, let's say the way of a fool seems right to him. That means that a fool is someone who takes his own advice. Yeah. You know, takes no advice at all. Well, I'm going to do it my way or the highway kind of attitude. The way of the man right is on that. But a wise man listens to advice, but so a wise man listens to what other councilmen say. Right. You know what? I that back here. Almost like the way my work, my job works. You know, where you have, I'm a manager of a store that's responsible for one person below me, but then you have a chain of command that goes all up to corporate, and they all make decisions, and you've got to respect those decisions. Okay, and they, they have 12 or 15 different people making decisions on all kind of different things the company does, from advertising to everything. And that's space. So when you have a company that works with one person only that makes all the decisions, they usually fail pretty quickly. Wow. Kevin, your verse. Alrighty. Uh, make plans by seeking advice. Make plans by seeking advice. Right. If you wage war, obtain guidance. Have an exit plan. Have an exit plan. <laughs> <laughs> Always have a rally point. Always have an evac point. Leave no one behind. Take no prisoners. Uh, take, head, take, uh, take headquarters and leave the rest. Yeah. It's amazing how the Bible uses um, a lot of um, war, war terms in the Bible. You know I'm saying? War terms, I mean war. Yeah. In general, it's mentioned a lot, you know, in yeah. some of the um, things that 
you listen to use of examples as counsel, actually. Yeah. Because men are warriors, right? Men are leaders. Men are leaders. Oh. Make war, seek guidance. You go back to... Um, you go back to the warrior face from... Uh, Quest for Authentic Manhood, you go back to the John Eldridge um, theory, the three, you know, we all have a battle to fight, a battle to win, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. But yeah, we are warriors. Frank, yours. Proverbs 15, 12. Oh, man, that's a good one. Mocker resents correction. Mocker. We will not consult the wise. We will not consult the wise. So you're a fool and you're a mocker. What do you consider a stubborn person? Yeah. Stubborn. I miss Rogers over here with the phone. Not anybody in here stubborn. Heck no. Actually, I'm the furthest thing from it. I, 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 you know, I'm the person my wife is going in. I'm like, yeah, you're right, baby. You're right. I submit. My God. That's on tape. Oh, my God. It is on tape. <laughs> That's on the podcast. Yes. All across America. We will edit that one out. Yeah, my name is Jonathan Wright. My name is Jonathan Wright. Blake, your last one. He who can trust in himself is a fool. Nope. But he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Proverbs 28-26. There's safety in wisdom. Key word there. Any other thoughts on those? Being almost like being a member of a church. Being a member of a church, you're, you're around a lot of councils, a lot of godly people, more godly people you're around, the better chance you have at succeeding. Mm-hmm. And doing things in life where mm-hmm. you don't go to church, you say you're, you're a Christian and say you're a believer, but you don't go to church, you stay home all the time, you by yourself, <laughs> you gain no counsel. Right. It kind of you're lost in a way. Believe me, today it's easy to be a Christian and not go to church based on all the internet access we have, the ability to follow a church in Seattle or follow, or follow a church in California or Chicago or Atlanta, it's, Georgia. It's different. I went home a few times a night to watch Mott. Big mom, pastor, on because my work schedule, I was working six, I get home, right. went on my computer, listened to some of the sermons, and it was great, teaching, but it didn't feel the same. It felt huh. like it just didn't feel like when you're sitting in church, when you feel like you feel like you're part of something big. When I leave church, I feel like I'm floating. Yeah. And then when I go to work and I start getting all that poison in me, from, right? You know, people and, and people I work with, it, it, it you know, it, it takes a while for it to get through to me. You know what I'm saying? But going to church is so much bigger, different than going home and just reading about and watching things online. So last week we talked about that there is an inherent desire in us to to crave fellowship. And also we talked about it being part of survival as well. Now, the other aspect of that, you know, talking about safety and waging war and making plans and not being a fool and being wise, a smart man... We have to receive counsel. That's part of survival. Sometimes we have to act like our life depends on it because it does. We have to seek, when we talk about life and fellowship and seeking counsel. Uh, I'm going to steal a little bit of, of Milton's thunder here because right when we walked in here, um, we talked about 
What keeps us from seeking counsel? What today, what today keeps us from seeking counsel? I'll tell you why, and there's still a little bit of his thunder here in a second. But what keeps us from seeking counsel? Pride. Pride? I need a different color pen. Different color pen. Blue. Never argue with a woman about the color pink. Okay, pride. What else keeps us from seeking counsel? Laziness. Some people think when you say counsel, they think a professional counselor. I say, I haven't got the money for that. No, I talk about just talking to people. Counsel could be church members. How about Renee or you? You know, talk to music. What was that? Oh, for me, it's fear, too. Being afraid of being told something I don't want to hear. Nothing I'm wrong, ever wrong. That's actually a good one. I was going to say, um, let me know, in quotes, that they are right. Uh, okay. Know that they are right. Or they think they're right. You know what I'm saying, Renee? Yeah, correct. I don't want to be transparent. Uh, I'll say thick, how about that? Yeah. But lacking vulnerability? Yeah. Fear exposing. Yeah, exposing your sin is pretty much the same thing. Exposing your sin. By correct, you mean their own will? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My own counsel. I want to do. Yeah, island unto myself. Absolutely, Frank. Let me clarify that. Correct, an island. Master of your own destiny? Yeah. Yeah. I found something over in Proverbs today, and I was telling Renee about this earlier. Oh, yeah. In the fifth chapter. Yeah, that's the thunder I was going to say. Is that where you're at? Yeah, go for it. Go in, for it. In the fifth chapter, the 13th verse and 14th verse, it said, I didn't obey my teachers. Or listen to my mentors for work for today. I didn't listen closely to my mentors. Therefore, I was on the verge of a complete ruin before the entire community. Ah. Read that again, Milton. Very yeah. good. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my mentors. I was on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. Yeah. Who wrote that? Do they know who wrote that? David. David. The fifth chapter, probably. That's real powerful. Here's, here's a guy after God's own heart. He said, I didn't listen. Well, if you look at a lot of people in the Bible, we're all afraid if we sin, if we are too. I would say another big thing about that too is embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Embarrassment on if you're sinning and doing something you're not supposed to do, you're too embarrassed to talk about it. So you keep it inward because you don't want no one knowing about it. Well, for a whole year, David hid his sin with Bathsheba for a whole year. Yeah, I'm going to throw one up. Yeah, and that's what makes him a man for God. Yeah. Even, before, even before yeah. Christ, he forgave everybody in the Bible who did sinful things. That we look at going wild. can't read my writing, but I'm, I meant to say permission. A lot of us don't seek counsel because our minds are already made up. And so when we say, hey, I'm going to go into business, then I leave my CPA firm and 
go off and do my own little postal shop and buy this franchise with an ungodly man. And um, what do you think about that? Well, your mind's made up. If you're not seeking counsel, you just want permission. The situation that my wife and I found ourselves in is that we're giving a lot of counsel to a lot of young single adults today. And we have to be mindful that, that they're not asking for permission. They need truth. That they're actually coming to counsel. And we have a very low tolerance when it comes to tolerance meters down here, when it comes to um, uh, self-fulfillment um, of desires. We notice it right away. So my wife and I are very mindful that we are, I should say, slow to speak, not quick to answer. It happened to me today when I was talking to a young married man. But we're very mindful that, that when someone comes to us and seeks counsel because they've sought us out, or they've sought me out, when someone comes to you for counsel, they've sought you out. Be, be mindful or be be discerning that they are looking for truth and you need to be able to respond in kind if what you see is not like, hey man you, you made your mind, your mind up already you know the guy again going back to the, the fool doesn't listen takes their own advice um, any other thoughts on what keeps us from seeking counsel I think the environment that you've established if you already have safe relationships Okay. So you're saying from the from the from the relationship that from fellowship would yeah. come the council. Like I, I can agree with that. From fellowship flows council. You have somebody that right. you trust to go to. Right. And you're not as likely to seek counsel. Right. And I think it's important that we establish fellowship. You said it. Get around godly people. And then as you're going to hear this Saturday in the GM6, we're saying narrow down those men even more. But even even if you have relationships, I mean, you can always go to Roger Bridgewater. You can always go to Milton. You can always go to Water with Sarah. Yeah, exactly. But you know the guys. You know those pillars of faith. And even peers that are pillars of faith as well that you can go to. But you have to have the relationship. I agree 110% with you there. Absolutely. We have built a group here. A fellowship where we, that I hope, stems into a deeper relationship later on, as we as we as we get as we as we go through this thing called life, and we can pursue counsel from each other, most definitely. Well, that's what I'm going to work on. My goal from this class, especially, is is I don't have mainly many godly friends. I don't. You know, the church is far away from where I live. Most people live around the church. I live all the way to Conroe, and I work a lot of hours. So it's very tough for me, you know, to, to get mingle with people in the church, in this church, but more, even where I live at, a lot of people I work with aren't church people. You know, I do talk about my beliefs a lot, but it's me, it's very tough. I get my counsel when I come to Bible class on Wednesdays, when I come to church on Sundays. Luckily, I'm able to come here two times a week. And that's really helped me out a lot. You know, it keeps me straight. Yes, John? But what chances of being sued? Is the, now that, now that for this and for that. What are the chances of being sued? 
Well, there are reasons. Okay, we're talking. So I'm glad you brought that up because from this point on, like we're talking about fellowship, and we define fellowship as Christocentric. <laughs> can't say that word. Fellowship. From now on, moving forward, we're talking about godly counsel. We're not talking about a Phil. We're not talking to psychiatrists or psychologists. Though we have Christian psych- psychologists and Christian psychologists, more psychologists than, Christian, than psychiatrists in Milton's understanding, we have that godly counsel in there. We're talking about godly counsel from peers, from mentors. Um, you know, I don't know the legal ramifications of counsel, but I'm not licensed, right. so you really can't hold me to that. Milton's, you're licensed as a minister, right. so I don't think... Well, I think what he's trying to say, too, is... is People these days, it's, it's so bad. My so opinion. litigious, so, yeah. So sensitive. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Then he comes up to me and he goes, I have a problem I want to say, share with you. And I say something to him that offends him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. And he has a brother that's an attorney. And they know that, let's say, I make really decent money. Sue him. Okay. And he gets angry for what I say. So then also he can sue me personally in civil court. Yeah. So you always got to, you know, I mean, that really is something that happen. You shouldn't have to worry about being, talking to someone about godly things and being sued. Yeah. But it could happen sometimes. <laughs> you know, you got to watch, you know, I think it just depends. If you know who you're talking to, yeah. most times you kind of read right. through that person, who he is and stuff like that. Right. Okay. I would think if you're within a biblical community that that would be that's what I'd say too. Is that, you know, but has it happened before? Probably, yeah. So, Probably has. so moving forward, guys, we're going to talk about godly counsel. Counsel from that is backed up with prayer, that the principles are written in black and white or in red in the Bible. So, we're pursuing godly counsel. So, Milton's going to talk to us about godly counsel. All right. Godly counsel. Godly counsels, you can, every one of you could define godly counsel, and you wouldn't be wrong, as long as you kept God as the forefront of defining the counsel. But the decisions in godly counsel are divided in two categories. One is moral, and the other one is priority. And I want to give, I want to give you a story that was a priority. And it's kind of funny. A woman was at work when she received a phone call that her small daughter was sick with a fever. She left her work and stopped by the pharmacy to get some medication. She got back to her car and found that she had locked the keys in her car. She didn't know what to do, so she called home and told the babysitter what had happened. The babysitter told her that the fever was getting worse. She said, you might find a coat hanger and use that to open the door. The woman looked around and found an old rusty coat hanger that had been left on the ground, possibly by someone else who at some time had locked their keys in their car. She looked at the hanger and said, I don't know how to use this. She bowed her head and asked God to send her help. Within five minutes, a beat-up old motorcycle pulled up with a dirty, greasy, bearded man who was wearing an old biker skull rag on his head. The woman thought, this is what you sent to help me? But she was desperate, so she was also very thankful. The man got off his cycle and asked if he could help. She said, yes, my daughter's very sick. I stopped to get some medication, and I locked my keys in my car. I must get home to her. Please, can you use this hanger to unlock my car? He said, sure. 
He walked over to the car. In less than a minute, the car was open. She hugged the man, and through her tears, she said, Thank you so much. You're a very nice man. The man replied, Lady, I am not a nice man. I just got out of prison today. I was in prison for car theft and have only been out for about an hour. <laughs> the woman hugged the man again and with sobbing tears cried out loud, Oh, thank you, God, you even sent me a professional. <laughs> Sometimes godly counsel or godly help comes to us in ways that we least expect. So therefore, what does that say to us? We have to be on guard. The scripture says, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. What? You say, well, how can I do that? By reading His Word. His Word will help you guard your heart every day. His Word will help you know when you are in godly counsel. And like that woman, she knew, and she said, thank you, God, for sending me a professional. She knew that God had said that because it happened just as she had asked for it to. Well, there's three questions when you make moral decisions, when you make moral choices in counsel. Number one, here it is. You ask yourself, is it beneficial? Is this counsel going to be beneficial to me? And is this God's best or just a concession for the moment? Is what I, the decision I'm making, is this God's best for me right now and what I need? Is it beneficial? That's the first question. The second question you ask in making a moral choice, is it constructive? In other words, you're saying, well, what are the positive results, the positive results of this choice for the kingdom? Is this going to build or destroy the people around me in the situation? So the first one is, is it beneficial? The second, is it constructive? Then the third one, is it good for others? Is it good for others? You're simply saying, by asking yourself that question, how will my choice affect and effect others? Look at 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 1 Corinthians 10. First Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Look down to the 23rd and 24th verses. I'm reading. Everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Be ye kind one to another, right? Look at verse 31 in that same chapter. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whether whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Give no one offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I also am in Christ. So what is the scriptural principle there that, that Paul is pointing out in making moral choices? It's simply this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do not cause someone else to stumble by a choice you make. And if it's going to cause someone to stumble, 
Even Paul said, and we've all quoted that verse, if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, I won't eat meat. That's what Paul said. So we have to ask ourselves those three questions when we're making choices. Is it beneficial? Will it benefit others? Is it constructive? And a priority choice. That woman made a priority choice, didn't she? I want you to read with me a story about counsel. I'll read it, and we'll all follow it together. You follow as I read. And there's a principle lying here about a man in counsel. Early in the 2001 NASCAR season, Steve Park had everything going for him. He was driving for Dale Earnhardt and a big corporate sponsor, Pennzoil. He even drove the big number one car. Park was racing in the Nextel Cup Series, the top league in stock cars, the brass ring. Yet, like a lot of other guys, Park wanted to drive in other leagues as well. He admitted that he was begging... Is that Dale? D? Anyway, he was begging to let him drive a bush car, part of a less prestigious stock car league than Nextel. But his employees, along with representatives from Pennzoil, said, No, we don't want you risking your career on a bush race. Finally, because he kept insisting, they relented and let him run. Park said, then their worst fear was realized. Exactly what they told me over and over they were afraid would happen did happen. In September of 2001, Park's career took a significant downward turn when he crashed at the Lady in Black, the Darlington Speedway in South Carolina. Park was driving under a caution flag, ready for a restart when he was involved in an accident. His car came to rest against the inside wall and he stayed pinned in the vehicle for 20 minutes. Waiting to be extricated from the wreckage, rescue workers finally had to cut away the car roof to get him out. Park suffered a concussion and he had to sit out the rest of the 2001 season and the beginning of 2002 season. In 2001, he has been a title contender. In 2002, he was ranked 38th. He was released after the 2003 racing season no longer needed. Steve Park's story is our story. We may choose a course of action without taking counsel, without considering God's plans and desires. We're not really looking for His will because we've already decided what we want to do. Like Park pleading with his owners and sponsors, we beg and beg of people and sometimes God to get what we want. Even when wise and experienced people give good counsel to go in a different direction, we choose to go our own way. And the price, here it is, guys, and the price of going our own way is getting our own way. Perhaps the secret of contentment is not getting what we want, but wanting what we get. Amen? What a story. Because a guy didn't, he didn't go with the counsel of those around. And then these following pages are Bible truths about counsel. And there's a whole bunch of things there that, that you will need to read and just absorb in your quiet time. And so I've given this to you for you to use in your quiet time the rest of this week. And I hope you'll do that. And next week when I say, okay, guys, did you uh, read a man and his counsel? I hope you will say, yes, I read every word of it. I even highlighted some of it. We're about to unpack a lot of this here. All right. And so I want, to, I want to hit on a point before we forget that moral versus priority. Moral decisions, when you're looking at godly counsel, two decisions are broken down. Moral is right versus wrong. Moral is, should I leave my wife? Yeah. Should I leave my wife? Priority is right versus right. 
you know, what stock should I invest in? Should I get health insurance for my family and me? Life insurance. So moral is right versus wrong, and priority is right versus right. As we're seeking godly counsel, to remember that God gave us each other. Fellowship. God gave us each other. And so, as you look at these sort of things, I am not going to go to a doctor if I need help. If I need stock tips, I need to seek the appropriate counsel. I'm not going to go to a car salesman to buy a mattress. There's a classic commercial out right now where I think a player gets injured or he's helping a player, a basketball player is being uh, getting stretched out by a guy and the guy goes, man, you're a really good trainer. He goes, well, I'm not a trainer. I just stay at the Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> you know, it's pretty important that, you know, we look for the experts in our lives here. So moral, I'm going to go to judicial, someone in, in, the, in the, a lawyer if I have an issue with the law. I want to go to Julia Child if I need to make a chicken flambe. Alright? So that's important to understand. As you're pursuing godly counsel, you need to ask yourself as you seek it, am I decided or or am I undecided? Have I already made my decision? Have I already made my decision about what I want to do? It's a question you have to ask yourself. Lastly, another important on the slide is distinguish between human ingenuity and God's wisdom. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of good counsel out there. A lot of good ideas. A lot of ideas out there. But you need God's wisdom as you seek godly counsel. I had a lot of ideas when I was growing up, and I wish I'd seek counsel on. <coughs> I'd be a very rich man right now. I had this crazy idea of sending DVDs in the mail to people. Six years before Netflix arrived. I had this crazy idea of dispensing movies and dispensing machines. Six years before Redbox showed up. I wish I'd listened to a guy who told me how to invest in Starbucks back 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, Starbucks. Well, they are kind of taking a beating lately. <laughs> they, are. they are taking a beating. Yeah. Beware of a counselor with a quick answer. This happened to me today, and I was the counselor. Uh, and, and, I, and I say this because I, I had I had the opportunity to give a quick answer. The guy asked me, you know, should I quit my job? Because I really want to spend time with my wife, and the business is doing really well right now, but we'll lose our income 50%. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And my answer was going to be like, sure, go for it, man. But I told him, I said, I don't have an answer for you right now. When we meet next week, let's pray about it. I'll pray about it all week for you. But I don't have an answer for you right now. If you're thinking about adopting a child, you might need that income. I can't give an answer right now. And I said, it'd be, it'd be unwise and ungodly. You came to me for counsel on this? I cannot give you an answer. It was tough. And this lesson was timely. Teaching us how God works that way. Some folks 
You have agendas. She definitely some folks have agendas. People have agendas. That's an old picture. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm nice to people. I'm nice to people. I give this picture of Oprah on the wall. Remember, that people have agendas. Um, um, some people have agendas. I didn't say anything. I hear some moment behind. Second Timothy three one through seven. Go your Bible, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And let me just tell you, when you see when you see scripture personified in real life. What Timothy what? 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, it is chilling. Okay. And I'll share with you a story on this. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Remember, some folks have agendas. Verses 1 through 7. 2 uh, Timothy 3. Says, but know this: difficult times will come in the last days. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding. Check this out, verse five: holding or having a form of religion or godliness but denying its power. And the warning here is avoid these people. Verse 6. From among them are those who worm their way into households and capture idle women burdened down with sins led along by a variety of passions. Verse 7. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. When you see, when you see Scripture personified in your life, it's amazing. We have my wife and I are counseling a young lady who is being influenced by someone who has a form of godliness and has warmed her way into her home. And let me, let me give you the example. She sits on the couch all day influencing this girl and just sits saying that it's godly counsel. But when you see things like that personified, it's chilling. Be cautious of that. Yes. Also, when people say they're Christians, a lot of people may say they're Christians, but they may not know the true definition of that word. Absolutely. I mean, we, we know a lot of, I mean, Christians may just be a Christian nation, maybe Catholic, a lot of non-Catholic, uh, you know, uh, practicing Catholics. A lot of Christians just by name, but not by by um, by salvation. You're right. Josh McDowell just came out with a book about Oprah. He did? Wow. What's the name of it? Oh, God. Something. <laughs> you know, there's another Josh McDowell. Just, uh, Everybody knows Josh uh, McDowell used to be an agent. And there's a, yeah. He's got a partner, and I think it's like David Sterrett or something like that. I can't remember his name. Wow. She's influenced by some tremendous non ungodly people. Hello. <laughs> be a receiver of godly counsel, not a critic. Of godly counsel. Hey, when you go out and seek counsel, and it's godly counsel, be gracious, receive it. Remember, the three guys I hang around will tell me things I need to hear, not what I want to hear. And despite my human nature, I want to lash out and go, And remember, how you respond to it 
says a lot more about you than, than the truth that was given to you. Remember, the fool, I took it down, the fool doesn't listen. A, a smart man seeks wisdom. And lastly, as you're receiving godly counsel, peace is the umpire. I, I don't like that saying. But peace is the ultimate judge. As you're looking at it and going, I got peace about that. Do I feel good? Is the burden lifted off of you when you're receiving this counsel? Ah, it's good advice. I should take that. Any decision, God does not cast burdens on you. His decisions are not burdensome. How should I? Should I get a new refrigerator? It's a priority. But God's not going to put you into debt to get that refrigerator. That's burdensome. I would say one time I had a friend um, tell me something confidential. Yeah. And she asked my opinion on it. Uh huh. And I said, "Do you want to let me respond?" Pretty soon I heard anyways. Yeah. And she said, "Go ahead." She respected me for that. She respected you for it. For saying it that way, and then. Let her, let her have permission to right. let her know that it's something she You remember more her response as being gracious, you know? Cool. I mean, sometimes sometimes folks come up to me and say, hey, what do you think about this? And I go, do you really want to know what I think? Exactly. Do you really want to know what I think? And, you know, uh, anyways, yeah, I got to be mindful of that. You know, slow to speak, you know, to listen. But um, I just remember that peace is the umpire. You, everything, every decision that God should give you should be should be a peaceful decision. As you seek God, with wisdom. Any thoughts or questions? This is this is a fast lesson. We are done. Any thoughts? Yeah. Something about that phrase, peace is an umpire. Everybody knows that an umpire in baseball is behind the plate, and he's looking for strikes. Balls. Peace does that in our life. That's why I said peace is the umpire. Peace looks for the good and the bad and separates those in our life if we're going to be at peace. Just like the same thing in football, the umpire is positioned behind and in the middle of the defensive line. So what is he looking for? He's looking for guys that want to break the rules. Guys are grabbing and holding and tripping. Peace is the umpire. Always looking for our best interest. Peace. So you know, that helps me right there to know that God is always looking for the best in us. God is peace. And he's like an umpire in our life. So if you can think about the, the analogy there that even the umpire in baseball, football, is always looking for the good and the bad. God is our peace. There's a, there's a, there's, that's a great word. There's a great book called The Man Code. I don't know if y'all have seen it. Everybody don't have one of those. It's uh, The Man Code. It's, uh, it's a lot of little truth in here. It's written by Dr. Gary, by Dennis Swanberg. And uh, there's, a, there's a section in here called Good Decisions Are Made in Advance, Not by Impulse. And it gives this little 3KO punch um, uh, one, two, three points that KO's dumb decisions. And I, I thought it was very poignant and very relevant for what we're talking about today. It says here, number one, train yourself to pray about everything. 
even if your prayers are quick, open-ended conversations with your Heavenly Father. I do that a lot. I do that, instead of the long-winded prayers, I, 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 I'm constantly in prayer. Quick prayers. That's the first. That's the first punch. Second punch. Rely on a clear set of principles before, and take action after. And while you're deciding what principles to live by, be sure that everything you stand for, you stand for, can be backed up by specific references from God's Word. And while you're reading, be sure to pay, pay close attention to the book of Proverbs. It's filled with important insights. That's why it's called Proverbs. Number three, and if you're about to make a big decision, be sure to talk things over with your friends, your counsel, your three, before you make a final decision, not after. You go back to that verse, Proverbs 5. It failed. I didn't listen to my mentors. So make the decision before you make, I mean, before you make a final decision, not after. When you take these three steps, you'll make solid decisions, not impulsive ones, and you'll avoid needless heartaches and heartbreaks. One of the benefits, guys, of my circle of three and the counsel that I receive from them is they... I avoid so much consequence and heartache of a sinful path by going to them first. Make, make no bones about it. Number one, I'm accountable to God. On earth, my first accountability partner is my wife. If I hide anything from my wife, either I'm chauvinistic and I bullied her into my own compartmentalized life, or I'm a coward and she's bullied me and I have to keep things from her to avoid reprisals. But there's a balance in between. I think the greatest example of a godly marriage is Andy Pettit. When the whole Roger Clemens thing came down, he became a man of integrity and his wife backed him up because why? He shared everything with his wife. Andy Pettit's still playing baseball. His integrity is not in question. And number three, I'm accountable to the guys, my circle of three, circle of four, and then, the, and then my twelve, and then my, the church. But that's the order I go through. God, my wife, and I have, I have a strict reason why my wife. I, I cannot keep things from her. Just can't. Now, Christmas gifts I do. Okay? <laughs> Christmas gifts I do. Until the 25th. But I highly recommend that, guys. When I get in a situation, and you know they're coming... I seek counsel, and the frustration and the heartache is gone because I'm able to get good godly counsel from them. Have I learned to take the advice? In the beginning, I didn't take the advice. I got burned a lot. Nine years later, man, they're the first ones I go to. First ones I go to. Thoughts or questions? Yes. What? What? What kind of what constitutes a godly marriage? Well, number one, uh, married with someone who's a believer is a godly marriage. Number two, Paul talks about it in Philippians or Ephesians? Ephesians, the submission and Galatians and high level view of it. 
is that husband and wives are to submit to each other. In other words, a side-by-side relationship. Uh, I'm being very, I'm being very basic on this, but a side-by-side relationship that is intimate in a face-to-face relationship in marriage, but side-by-side. But submitting, see, you go back, you have to go back to Genesis, where the woman wants to be control over the man, and the man fights to keep control and provide effect for the wife. Paul, in Galatians and Ephesians, talks about submitting to each other out of God and respect. That my body is not my own, my body is my wife's. Together, we face the world. That's an example of godly marriage. Um, now let me oh, you, you, yeah. You've got a godly marriage whenever you and your wife can kneel down to, together and pray. So, so the applications, going back to that, yeah, going back to that. So what does a godly marriage look like? After you set those foundations, godly marriage is one that prays, worships together. And, and by the way, this is a struggle for a lot of godly marriages. Godly people struggle with a family altar. A lot of pastors struggle with that yeah. because I'm always in control. Yeah. Well, I mean, something that's puzzled. Yeah, I was married for a long time. My wife died. She was a Catholic also. She was the Catholic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was kind of, yeah, right, whatever. But I would pray with her. And uh, I guess my point is when I came, when I lost her and I started looking at Christianity, non-Catholic stuff, I heard the term equally yoked. And that has kind of been undefined in my mind. Equally yoked. Equally yoked. Now, are we talking about, I I know, again, what you just said about Mm -hmm. all Right. Equal well, yoke means equal responsibility. Same belief. Does it mean same belief also? Well, no. It doesn't mean necessarily. It means what then? Equal yoke? Equally responsible. Equal responsibilities. No different. You have the same amount of responsibility to keep your marriage intact as the other. One's not more responsible than the other. So it's not knowledge or like the Bible? I'm married way over my head. See, that... that it almost all it does mean believer. Well, let me. Not uh, equal yoke means not believer. So, so if I go into something with a, with a woman, marriage, and the woman's like a Bible scholar, and I, I am where I am, you know, is that unequally yoked? No, no. Do I have? All right, and, and in a marriage, do I have the responsibility to? convey to her, I mean, I guess the word I would was educate her, or, you know, I, I understand, you know, that I need to be biblically based. You, know, you can put her in situations where she hears it from someone besides you, you know, in a sermon, in a conference, and then you can enforce, reinforce that by the way you are. So, yeah, and I give you an example too. Me and my wife relationship. She was born. She was brought into the Christian life. I wasn't. She's a much stronger godly woman. I am a godly man at this point. Doesn't mean we're not even a yoke and we're not, you know, a godly family. It's that she's a more powerful presence um, because it's she just she just is. And I'm always trying to be that stronger godly person. 
in our relationship, she's the strong one. She's the one that dictates terms with the kids, reads Bibles to them every night, and prays with them every night. They all read Bible verses. Uh, me, sometimes, like, I drift off, you know? It's just, I, I get to the TV, to the theater. So she's a strong, godly presence in the family. But in my personal opinion, we're, we're a godly family, and we're a godly marriage family. It's just, you know, it's like it's, God knows we're going to be fighting a whole life to, you know, to be what we're supposed to be. So the Bible says a man is the head of the household. We're commanded, number one. People say, well, it's for men because men have a tough time doing this. But it's also for the women to understand as well. It's a command for women to read and say, hey, the man is the head of the household. Okay? And me and the head of the household being that you're going to be the provider. Much. The provider. But also you're going to be the spiritual head of the household as well. You're going to be the one to dictate. And I say dictate, but sometimes when kids get older, you have to dictate. That you'll have to dictate the spiritual maturity of the family. Whether being doing family altars, you know, praying, that sort of thing. Now, do not be intimidated if you find if you find a Beth Moore like woman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and wow. Okay. Um, it's basically what I was talking about. Yeah, one side that's really steeped in Christianity, and then the other side. Well versed, right? Yeah. Well versed. Well versed. Well versed. Well versed. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if she believes any more than I do. Right. But I don't, you know, I mean, how do you, that's subjective. I mean, you know, how do I measure if I believe better than she does or Christ? You know? Yes. Yeah, he equally jokes terminology. I'm going to have to defer to Eric on that. Now I understand why seminary is so important. Um, uh, but it, it, it is about belief. It is about equal responsibility in marriage. It is about a side-by-side relationship. Um, I would encourage you not to see it as a limitation of your walk or your lack of knowledge. Don't let that be self-conscious obstacle in the way, but sees an opportunity to, sees it as an opportunity if, if, this, if this is a true situation sees it as an opportunity to seek God out more in scripture seek her counsel, seek her advice on this. Hey babe I'm curious as to where this is in the Bible, can you explain to me what he fully yoked me? I mean I'd see it as an opportunity if she's well versed in it you know what, I'm not too sure about that it's crazy. I would see an opportunity to grow as a Christian man and if the relationship blossoms, yeah, fine. But I see, I see an opportunity. I, I, I mean, I mean, if you're pursuing this in a romantic relationship, and so I'm, I'm cautious about that because I believe you can find guys that are more like in their scripture as well too that can help guide you in that as well. And GM six can help you there too. Saturday, if you're available Saturday, highly recommend you're going to find some guys there. If you've thrown that out because that's the opportunity we have coming. I'm not trying to, to have, put a program on you, but I'm trying to say this is going to be an opportunity where guys like you and me, at different levels of our of our, of our sanctification and our walk with God, will be able to give us counsel as we move on. They'll be brought to Bridgewaters, and they'll be Pee Wee Hermans of the Christian faith. Okay, and I, and I say that with a lot of respect. The, the dichotomy is huge. The parameter is huge. The Pee Wee Herman. The, the Pee Wee Herman effect. <laughs> he got locked up for reasons. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it was a little story here. A little story.
Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We would love to have you come in person. We meet Wednesday evenings from 6 to 7.30 at Houston's First Baptist Church. More information is on the web at houstonsfirst.org, houstonsfirst.org. Again, have a blessed day. Let's go shine.